0: Good morning Glenridge, my name is Emily, for those of you who don't know, Um, and I've been a part of Glenridge pretty much my whole life, Um, my parents started coming here in the 90s, forever ago, Um, and so it's really an honour to be speaking today, it's a real privilege, so I'm really excited to share. Um, So today I wanted to share on standing firm. By focusing on a scripture from Ephesians and the world we live in um, sometimes it can be difficult to be steadfast in our faith and that is what makes Ephesians such a great book as Paul shares the simple gospel with the Ephesians and how the gospel should influence and impact the way in which we live so I'm going to be focusing on Ephesians 6, also known as the armor of God, and this is something that many people in the church are familiar with, especially those who grew up in the church. Um, we would learn about it in kids' ministry, we would make paper swords and shields, it was an awesome lesson. Um, and when we're children, we love learning about the sword and the, of the Spirit, and we love learning about the the helmet, and the breastplate of righteousness, and all of that, but, and they're very exciting to learn about, Uh, but I feel like the shoes of peace are often overlooked, and so Paul speaks about this in Ephesians 6 verse 15, but I'm going to read from verse 14, so if you want to get your Bibles out, or your phones out, or whatever you use, uh, so from verse 14 it says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, shoes are not quite as exciting as a sword or shield, metaphorically speaking. Um, But without them, we would not be able to fight the enemy. So this brings me to my first point, which is that We must not forget that we are in a spiritual battle. Um, In verse 12 of Ephesians 6, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And, The biggest lie that the enemy tells is getting people to believe that he's not real. And by doing so, it enables him to easily corrupt hearts. And so we must not forget to put our armor on. And sometimes we can let the busyness of life get in the way of that, and we can forget to put our armor on. We pull away from God, from community, And it may feel like we have the weight of the world on our shoulders because we're trying to fight these dark powers and principalities in our own strength. And a good example, and the person we can look to is Jesus. He was tested and Satan tried to tempt him, but because he was armored, because he had faith and he had righteousness and, and he had his shoes of peace on, nothing could stop him. He could stand firm. And so this brings me to my second point where we must put on the whole armor of God. In verse 11, um, it says, put on the full," or in some uh, uh, translations it says, the whole armor of God. And Paul repeats this again. And it just highlights that, you know, yes, knowing the word of God is important, but if we don't have peace or righteousness or faith, we're not going to be able to fight these battles. And everyone likes to talk about faith and the sword and the shield, but without the shoes of readiness, we are vulnerable to attack. And so the first part of verse 15, it talks about feet being fitted with readiness. Now, what does it mean to be ready? To be fully prepared, to be trained, and in our case, equipped. And that's so wonderful about this church is that we often have these equip series where we're learning more about God and his word. So praying, worshiping, and through consistency, we form habits by actively using the gifts and tools that we have been provided with, such as praying in tongues. These are our weapons that we can fight against the enemy with. And at the beginning of this year, matt was given a prophetic word and part of that prophetic word was to train hard and fight easy and i feel like that's something we can all apply to our lives is where we train hard we equip ourselves we pray we worship we spending time with him and then we can be prepared and any attack that comes our way we can just ward it off and so another aspect to look at ourselves look at when we are reading ourselves is we need to have balance Now, when you get into a fighting position, you don't stand like this, because you're going to get knocked over. You put one foot behind you and one foot in front. So the foot behind gives you balance. You bend your knees as well, it also gives you balance. And then you also, by putting your foot behind you, it gives you a chance to step forward and attack. Um, And so a nice example of this is often in movies or series, mostly like adventure and fantasy kind of stuff where there's this young guy who dreams of being a warrior or something like that, and he's learning the art of fighting. And he has this wise old mentor that's teaching him all the tricks. And then one day, he's been training hard, and he thinks, yeah, I'm going to win this fight. I'm finally going to put this old man down, you know? Like, I'm going to take him out. And he thinks he's winning, and he's fighting, and he's like, yes, I've got this guy. And the next minute, he has his feet swept up from under him And he lands on his back. And then the old mentor will come up to him and give some very cliched proverb about, like, you know, if you don't have balance, you know, you will lose and all that. And this just demonstrates that we can have all the moves. We can have the sword. You can have the shield and the helmet. But if we're not ready, we'll be easily knocked off balance and fall on our backs, exposed, completely exposed to attack. And so that brings us to my next question is where do we find balance? And this leads to the second part of verse 15 where Paul talks about our feet being fitted with peace. And so peace is the antithesis of war. And if we are at war with ourselves, if we are conflicted within our hearts, it's easy for the enemy to exploit and expose our weaknesses, And we need balance and stability within our lives and our hearts, and that comes from peace. And in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 15, it highlights how God has called us to bring peace. And yeah, just where do we find peace? And we find it in his word, we find it by spending time with him, by worshiping him, and just highlighting how important peace is in our lives. So now, once you have your armor and you're in your ready stance, you need to step forward and speak truth. Because the verse further states, your feet will be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So here, Paul is indicating that we need to share the good news. And in Isaiah 52, verse 7, it says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And so we cannot let fear prevent us from speaking truth and sharing the good news. And it might be scary taking that first step, but the enemy is even more scared when you do take that step and proclaim the truth. And um, this makes me think about years ago, when I was in high school, when I was about 15 or 16, there was this debate which devolved more into a shouting match between an atheist and a Christian, debating on the existence of God and where is the proof. And the Christian guy, he was so adamant on being right, and proving God's existence. He was getting so angry and aggressive. And by doing so, there was no love in his message. He had forgotten to share the good news. And by getting aggressive, he'd push that guy away. And if we let, if we let aggression or if we let offense take over, that's when the enemy wins because the people we're trying to reach will pull away. They don't want to be around people who are getting angry or offended by what we, they say. And so we need to remember, God doesn't need us winning arguments. He needs us winning hearts. And it's easier to be bold around people who share the same faith. Uh, but we need to step out of our comfort space and speak the truth. And the more we do it, the easier it becomes. Practicing, training, hard and fighting easy. And I often look back on that moment with regret because I wish I just sat there. While these two guys were shouting at each other, I just sat there in silence. Um, And I thought just because I was young, I was 15, 16, I thought like, I didn't know enough. So what could I say? You know, how am I gonna change what, what could I say that could possibly change his heart, you know? But that was an opportunity for me to share the heart of God, to share the good news. And maybe that guy wouldn't have changed his mind. Maybe it would have, would have just been like, no thanks, it's not for me. But a seed might have been planted had I not stepped back, had I not just sat there in silence. And that's why we cannot be quiet. We must be steadfast and share the truth, However, we must not forget that we are not one-man armies. Um, sometimes we can get really, like, some people are really on fire for God. Like, okay, I've got my sword. I've got my shield. I'm ready to go to battle. I'm ready to, like, fight anyone. Like, come on. Um, and they're just, they're just ready to charge. I'm sure you know someone who's like that. Um, we're not Jason Bourne. We're not Liam Neeson. We're not going to take anyone out. Like, we can't do this on our own. Um... We can't fight this battle by ourselves, we need God. So don't lean on your own strength, lean on His and let the Spirit be your guide. So therefore we must be ready by training and finding balance through peace. We must be willing to step forward and share the good news. However, we are not one man armies, we are called to stand in unity, steadfast in conviction and rely on his strength. And finally, we must not forget that we are in a spiritual battle every day of our lives. So I want to encourage you to lean into God, to stand firm, and be ready to speak out because that is how we win. That is how we take ground.
1: One, two. There we go. Thank you, Em, for knocking it out the park and making my job even harder. Appreciate it. Uh, it's always a catch twenty-two. You don't know should you go first, should you go second. Definitely should have gone first. Anyway, good morning, Glenridge. Um, I'm Josh. Also, grown up in this beautiful house all my life, and uh, this is the first time that I've got the privilege of doing that. This. So, thank you to stand in the eldership team for, for risking big. (laughs) Try, try not disappoint you. I was in the car this morning with my mom and I was saying, yeah, thank goodness. It's, you know, we just pray that it's Jesus' word, not mine. My mom was like, yeah, I don't know if that takes the pressure off or if that's weightier because you're like speaking his word. And then she, she hits me with a, yeah, you know, it says in the Bible, those that teach and preach, God will judge them more, more, more harshly. (laughs) I was like, Thanks, Mom. I know your heart's good, but I don't need to hear that before I start preaching. Anyway, we are getting sidetracked. Um, yo. Ray, also to you, just thank you for, for investing in the, in the young people of this church. I think Ray and Kathy, a lot of what they do goes behind the scenes, but they have had many, many young people through their homes, through their home. Over the last few years, and I know many years we're going to look back and say, hey, remember Ray and Kathy. Remember what they invested in our lives. They risked with us on band, preaching. So thank you to you guys. Honestly, you're amazing. Um, yeah, small disclaimer before I get going is about a week. I don't know if any of you listened to the Glenridge Daily Devotions. I hope not too much because about a week ago I did a daily devotion. Basically, it's a trailer for what I'm speaking about today. So if you did listen, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, let's, let's just start off with, with opening up in prayer, if that's okay. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you equip us with the armor of God. Thank you that you equip us to go. You equip us. You are everything we need, as M said, Lord God. All we need is you, Lord Jesus. And may this morning, may we just come to a greater revelation of who you are, Lord God, and what your plan is for us, Lord Jesus. We give you all the glory this morning, Lord Jesus. Amen. So in the last month or two at Glenridge, we've been looking, doing a series called Seed and Salt, and we've been looking at, there's been an emphasis on this breaking camp and being a missional church that takes the good news out into the world. Glenridge has, has always had this apostolic call on on her and this the history of this church having grown up i just remember growing up hearing stories and stories of people who sold everything they had they they laid it all down they risked it all and with incredible faith they followed the call of god wherever it may lead all over the world and um that is something that has marked this house and we almost take it for granted you go visit other churches around the country around the city it's not like, don't take that for granted. This, this apostolic call on this house is unique and profound. And it is something, like I said, so unique to Glenridge. And so um, I've been thinking recently, you know, what is it about God? What is it about this Jesus that is so compelling that people would sell all they have to follow him? You know, I mean, I love my parents. But if they told me, listen, Josh, stop your career, sell everything you've got and, you know, follow us. Overseas or something, I'd be like, You guys are crazy. Like, you know, there's a lot of things I need to think about here, a lot of things to consider. And um and yet Jesus, you know, he says to the rich young ruler in the Bible, sell all you have and and follow me. And I even when I started working, I met with a financial advisor, you know, like I want to save properly, invest well. And he said to me, you know, what's the number one rule of investment? Diversify, 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 you know. And um, do not put all your eggs in one basket. And yet, when God calls us to go, he calls us to put all our eggs in his basket and just follow him. And so, yeah, this morning, I just want to maybe touch on, for me at least, who is the sending God and what is so compelling about him? And I hope that for all of you who have been sitting here the last few months thinking, these guys are crazy, crazy. Hopefully, I can point us towards a greater understanding of Yahweh, the Great I Am, the God that calls us to go. Um, so yeah, let's. We're gonna skim through a bit of scripture. I know my dad spoke last week about having you know the hard copy Bible. It's it's in my notes, Dad. I know it's not here, but it is it is here. <laughs> so we are going to be looking at the Bible. So. We're gonna we're gonna look at John, and in John six, Jesus feeds the five thousand, magic, huge miracle, lives change, people are in awe. Five you know five loaves two fish. We know the story, and uh, people are completely blown away at his miracle. And then in John six thirty five, Jesus says, "I am the bread of life." And now this this confuses the Jews. You know they can understand a miracle, but when Jesus says, "I am the bread of life," the Jews begin to argue. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And interestingly in John, Jesus makes seven I am statements. Where he points people to the fact that he is the son of God. He is the all powerful for God. His seven claims in, in John are, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the light. I am the way, the truth and the light. And I am the true vine. And people, people, uh, the Jews at the time, could understand the miracles. They had seen and read about the prophets of old, Moses mat- bring, uh, crying out to God and God providing with manna from heaven. You know, they, they sort of understood miracles and, and understood that. But when Jesus starts saying, I am the bread of life, this confuses them entirely. I am the light of the world. They, that, they've got no framework for what he's starting to say. And it even says some followers even deserted Jesus. And they said, you know, we can't follow you. This this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And so begins the passage of scripture in John, where Jesus, the Jews, begin to dispute who Jesus is. You can read it for time's sake. We're not going to go through the whole thing. And Jesus is continually pointing towards the fact that towards his divinity, towards the fact that he is God. And um, in, jo- in John eight, um, thanks Shepherd, I told Shepherd. The uh, you know, scripture I'm reading from is John seven. So he comes to me, he's like, Josh, the verses you're saying, John 7 ends too early. Like, we don't have that part in the Bible. And I was like, oh, flip. Quickly checked, it's actually John 8, so thank you for that, shepherd. Your hard copy Bible, hard copy Bible would have sorted that out. In John 8 verse, so so anyway, Jesus is getting, um, in John 8 verse 28, it says, it's not gonna be up there. I'm just gonna read it quickly. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who has sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he has sent me. And the Pharisees and some of the Jews refuse to accept this and they, they continue to challenge Jesus and they say and they they're really just trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is. Eventually Jesus gets almost fed up and like annoyed with, with their disputing, and he says to them, why is my language not clear to you? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says, and the reason that you do not hear God is that you do not belong to God. Now, this is God's chosen people. These are the Jews. They, they, they're it. they it. They are very proud of the fact that they are God's chosen people. So when God say, when Jesus says to them, you do not belong to God, they get very offended by this, and um. And they say to Jesus, no, you must either be a Samaritan or demon possessed, which in their books, that's as bad as it can be. And um, Jesus, he almost senses their their agitation and he he starts to go in for the killer blow. And so we're going to read together from John 8 verse 49. um, Where it's Jesus response to them. I'm not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself. But there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And then almost sarcastically they say to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. How, how is that possible? And this is where Jesus just lands the killer blow. He says, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, you read that and you think, you can stay on that scripture, that part. You read that and you think, geez, Jesus, a bit of a grammatical error there. That, that's not English. Before Abraham was born, I am. Or you think, geez, John, you're a bit of a typo there. But let me tell you, that was no typo. This is not some grammatical error. This was Jesus without any ambiguity whatsoever declaring that he was and is, in fact, the God of the ages and the great I am. You see, this this I am is the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the same word that God used to reveal himself to Moses in Exodus 3 verse 14, where Moses says, if I'm gonna go to the Israelites, who must I say sent me? And God says, tell them that I am has sent you. Tell them that Yahweh has sent you. So when Jesus says, Before Abraham was born, I am. What he was saying was, before Abraham was born, Yahweh. I am the great I am. I will be what I will be. I am the same God who called Moses at the burning bush in Exodus. The same God that delivered the Israelites from Egypt. The same God that parted the Red Sea and shook the walls of Jericho. The same God that made a covenant with Abraham. Their great father Abraham who they keep referring to. I'm that God. And he's not just some prophet who can do a few miracles. He's the great Yahweh, the God of the ages, and the Lord of all. And see, for the Jews, they wouldn't have read that scripture. I mean, they wouldn't have heard Jesus say that and think, oh, she's a bit of a grammatical error there from Jesus. See, in Jewish schooling, the part of their schooling was to learn the first five books of the Bible off by heart. So whether Pharisee or fisherman... When Jesus said before Abraham was born, Yahweh, they knew straight away. They had learnt Exodus off by heart. So they knew that God was calling himself the great I am. They knew this wasn't some little grammatical error by Jesus. And um, another thing that is just so, so incredible about it is that, and what was so provocative about what Jesus said when he called himself Yahweh, is that in Jewish tradition, they reckon sometime after the, the Jews' Babylonian exile, the divine name Yahweh was increasingly regarded as too sacred to be uttered verbally. It was thus replaced vocally in the synagogue ritual by the Hebrew word Adonai, meaning my Lord. That means that by Jesus saying the word Yahweh, he was saying a word too sacred and holy for the Jews and Pharisees of the time to even utter. Like it was just, you just it couldn't even come out of their mouths. And there's Jesus not only saying Yahweh, saying I am, like that's me. And so you, you read, they, they get so enraged by that and, and the, the, it follows on in the scripture to say they were so enraged and they, they wanted to stone him and you know, I fully understand why. He was just shaking the core of what they believed and, and so there was no more ambiguity. There was no I am the light of the world, I'm the bread of life, all these parables. It was now plain and simple, I am. And um, Glenridge this morning, I just want to remind us that Yahweh, the great I am, the God of the ages, that's the God that sends us. That's the God that sends us. That's the God that calls us to go. He is not some clever prophet who has some good teachings on how to live our lives. He is the Lord of all. His existence surpasses the very fabric of space and time. And uh, God, God doesn't choose names for himself at random. John Piper says, when he names himself, We must be sure that the name is packed with who he is and what he intends to do. And so when God calls himself Yahweh, he is saying that, you know, not I was, not I will be, but I am. Every promise and word he has ever uttered is packed into the name I am. I am the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is eternal, he is consistent. You know, people are inconsistent, people are irrational and sinful, people will disappoint you, but I am will never disappoint you. The church, the church will offend you, leaders will offend you, but I am will never. From cre- the creation of the world to his second coming and into eternity, I am. The same God that sent Moses out the same God that did miracle upon miracle throughout the Bible, the same God that sent his son Jesus to die for our sins and be raised to life so that we may live an eternal life in him. That is the God that we put our trust into. And that is the God that somehow in his grace and love, he chooses to use us. And he is the one that saves us and he is the one that sends us. John Piper speaks quite a bit on this topic and I lent, I love just reading, he's such a great teacher and so great reading what he has to say and, and on John 8 he says, could Jesus have taken any more exalted words upon his lips when he said, before Abraham was, I am. He took up all the majestic truths of the name of God, wrapped in the humility of servanthood, offered himself to atone for our rebellion and made a way. For us to see the glory of God without fear. In Jesus Christ, we are born of God and have the unspeakable privilege of knowing Yahweh, this great, almighty, powerful God. We have the unspeakable privilege of knowing Yahweh as our Father. He is the all powerful, never changing God, and yet He chooses to love us, and He chooses to forgive us, and atone for our sins, and bring freedom of his eternal life. And then he uses us and sends us out to share the good news, as Emily said. Equipped, fully equipped in him to be a part of his eternal story. That is why we can put all our eggs in his basket. We can follow him wholeheartedly because his track record is perfect and he will never let you down. Amen. Yeah. Lord Jesus, we love you so, so much. We thank you that you are all we need, Lord God. We thank you that it is not in our own strength that we go out, that we can lean on you, that we are fully equipped by you, Lord Jesus. That we are equipped with the armor of God, Lord Jesus. That is all we need. All we need is you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are the great I am, the God of the ages, that your promises of two, 3,000 years ago are still true today, Lord Jesus, that you will always come through. You will always deliver for us, Lord Jesus. Lord God, today we choose to put all our eggs in one basket. We don't diversify who we put our trust in, Lord Jesus. We put our trust in you. And we say we will follow you for the rest of our lives. Be with us as we go this week. We love you, Jesus. Amen.